0: Hello, everybody, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. My topic today is era-defining entertainment, The Avengers and Game of Thrones. And my guest is LA-based filmmaker and longtime integral practitioner, Jason Lang. Just a quick reminder to subscribe to my new Daily Evolver YouTube channel, if you're so inclined, and you can always find all my stuff well over 100 episodes, on my website, dailyevolver.com. All right. So, in case you haven't noticed, this summer marks the finales of two multi-chapter fantasy epics that have both reflected and shaped our evolving culture. HBO's Game of Thrones presented its eighth season, earning a record-breaking 32 Emmy nominations. It has 161 overall. And over at the movies, the Marvel franchise based on the Avengers comic books released its 18th and final installment, Avengers Endgame, which last week became the world's highest grossing movie of all time. What are the cultural forces behind these entertainment juggernauts? Let's take a look with my guest, Jason Lang. Thanks for listening. That gets us into what we were gonna talk about today, which is this pop culture phenomena that would be hard to miss with the final season of Game of, Game of Thrones. And then also on the movie side of the street, the Avengers, the fa- final, basically it turns out installment to a 10 year series. And these are both basically 10 years series, right?
1: Yeah, I think Game of Thrones started in 2011 or 2012. Okay. Um, the the, the tel- television series and the books, you know, the first book was written in the 90s. Oh, really? It's been, you know, in the culture for a bit now.
0: Yeah. And then The Avengers is a, this, this is a culmination of like 20 movies.
1: Yeah, I think there's. I think it's 22 movies that have comprised the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as they call it, starting which started yeah a little over a decade ago with 2008 or 2008 Iron Man, the uh-huh. very first one that
0: yeah kicked so it all off yeah so tell us a little bit about it, about that. I know you you and I have talked about it, and it turns out that there was just some genius around using the discarded characters, and I'd forget all the details, but it's interesting.
1: Yeah, well, it was a really interesting moment in time because, you know, from this side of the Avengers, it looks like, oh, this was um, destined to be the world's, you know, at this point, it's probably going to be the highest grossing movie of all time. It's it's like neck and neck with Avatar right now. But in 2008, um, Marvel itself was basically a, a bankrupt property. Uh, they had gone through bankruptcy. They had sold off most of the rights to their most popular comic book characters, which were like the Fantastic Four, X-Men and Spider-Man. So they had sold those rights off to other movie studios because at that time, Marvel didn't make their own movies. But so in 2008, um, this guy, Kevin Feige, who's the producer of this kind of whole Marvel thing, um, they decided to you know, create their own kind of film studio. Like what if we made our own films? But the problem they had was they had sold off their most popular characters already, so all they had left really was the Avengers, which was never really the highest-grossing comic by by any regards, uh, never the most popular, and kind of had the wacky characters like Thor, you know, who's kind of ridiculous in so many ways, uh-huh. and Captain America, who's kind of classically cheesy, you know, uh-huh. and Iron Man, who is kind of a B-level comic on. Honestly, he was never super popular. He was just a guy that wore a metal suit.
0: (laughs) Right. Now, I went through my comic book phase right on schedule, like, I don't know, 9, 10 through 13, something like that. And my uh, main obsession was Superman. And, of course, this is DC, not Marvel. Now, there was nothing cheesy. I mean, we look back on that now and see cheesy. But it wasn't played as cheesy. So what Uh, I I notice about these movies, as you say that Thor is a ridiculous character. Well, Chris Hemsworth plays him as uh, somebody who knows he's a ridiculous character.
1: But I'm wondering, I'm I'm not- into that, though, actually, which is interesting. Oh, is that right? Oh, interesting. Because I'm
0: thinking Thor, when he was a comic book, would not have been a ridiculous character. Would have been presented at face value, as is, uh, who's the other one you were talking about? Oh, Captain America, for God's sake. Yeah. You know, can't do that, ironically, until, oh, you know, the late sixties at the earliest. The evolution of comics is just, it's such a great barometer for the evolution of the culture.
1: Oh, completely. Totally. And yeah, I think that's a good point that they, they weren't ridiculous at the time. And in that context, actually, things, you know, it's part of the difference of mediums. that Things feel different in the comic book than they do on screen. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, Marvel's actually done a pretty great job of adapting those things and pulling together, you know, what's probably the most complex world that has like sci-fi, space, oh my god. galaxies, dark arts, mysticism with Doctor Strange, technology with Tony Stark, like somehow it's all existing in one.
0: You know, that's if a it's good off, It's
1: that's pretty a good point. They have a Norse God talking to a raccoon, you know, like it's- Yeah, at a tree. Yeah, exactly. It's it's kind yeah. of crazy that they pulled that off. But so everything started with this 2008 um, Iron Man, who was a B-grade comic at the time. But uh, One thing Marvel has done really well, which a lot of other studios haven't, is um, get an interesting director and cast a very interesting person. So y- you can really think of this whole 22 movie arc as the story of Iron Man in some ways. Yeah. And, it really all came down to, I think you can make a pretty strong argument casting Robert Downey Jr. Um, at a time where his career was not, he was not a hot property then, you know? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, was, that was, those were not his strongest
0: days. Yeah, so I can remember, we're talking 2008. Yeah. So I'm 44 years old at that time. And I'm not into any of this sort of thing. I'll, I'll go to the Superman movie, you know, just to see what they're up to, but uh, I'm not into this. But I got to say, my friends and I all went to see Iron Man because of him, because it was cool, because of the word of mouth. And, and so he and Gwyneth Paltrow did this techno sort of Elon Musk thing on steroids. And it was very powerful. and It was really entertaining. And he's still there and still sparkling in, in that role. Totally,
1: yeah. yeah. And then they, they they got John Favreau to direct, who is an interesting director had done some indies and was, again, kind of known for comedic timing and good character-driven movies. So they did the thing that most other comic book movies have failed to do, was they gave you an interesting person doing interesting things who actually had an emotional, yes. the, the, the great metaphor of Iron Man is the iron shell around a vulnerable heart and him yeah. learning you know, to open his heart continually. The whole series is just about that. And it's great. They oh. dial it every time. And then they spent the next couple of years introducing the other characters in their own individual films and then brought them all together in the first Avengers movie, which was in 2012, and really kind of cemented things. And it was probably around 2012, if not right before that, um, Disney bought Marvel. So they just bought them hands down. So now they own all the Marvel characters. It was in the flurry of... It's just like there's no studio like Disney right now because they bought Pixar, they bought Marvel, and they bought Star Wars within like two and a half years of each other.
0: Uh, Don't you get into antitrust, superhero antitrust territory here?
1: You you could make an argument, especially now that they're coming out with their own streaming service. But the idea was every company, every studio now has to have its own distribution platform. So you want to have as much content and IP as you can.
0: All right. So this is, um, this is how that all came together. You're saying starting 2012 with the Avenger movies.
1: Um, so they, they've, they've called it three distinct phases. Okay. So they watched the, these 22 movies in three phases and each phase culminated in an Avengers movie. So it'd be, Um, separate stories of separate characters that that would then come together in around a fourth or fifth movie which would be the Avengers teaming up and every time the Avengers teamed up new characters had been introduced so the team kept getting bigger and bigger Um, so by the time this movie came out you know when you see the 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 final scene there's there's literally more people to track on the screen than you can possibly conceive of oh that um, what they've wisely done though which you know, is a big point of comparison, just in terms of the execution of how they brought all this together in a successful way. And to the producer's credit, was they did give each character their own time in their own movie, so you mm-hmm. could actually emotionally invest in them. Mm-hmm. And then when they bring them all on screen, because you know, when you only have three hours and you have thirty characters, a mm-hmm. person can get you know five ten minutes, mm-hmm. which is it's actually hard to do. Yeah. Um, but by giving each one their own story and own character, you you, you kind of already have history
0: with the person that then mm-hmm. picked off in these big movies. Now, did these people have this in mind from the beginning? Uh, or is this just sort of, of course it evolves and there's probably some of both, but was this something that somebody had actually mapped out?
1: Yeah, Kevin Feige was... It, He's been mapping this since Iron Man, like, here's what I'd like to do. Now, obviously, nothing was guaranteed at that point. If Iron Man 1 hadn't done so well financially,
0: there'd there'd be none of it. Right. Fair enough. It's always a crapshoot. They had to
1: make a good enough movie that proved that these comics could exist and pull people out of the screen. And they
0: did that. One of the things that most impressed me, because, again, I I knew nothing. And my comic book phase was back in the late 60s. Uh, where it was clearly just bad guys are good guys. And Superman was a good guy and he could do anything and he had some that kryptonite vulnerability and blah, blah, blah. But the bad guys were always just crazy, psychotic bad. What was blew my mind, actually, is this Thanos, is his name? Yep. Uh, he's the villain. And his motivation for his villainy is quite shocking. First of all, he he wants to destroy half of the creatures in the universe. And that's a bad thing. And the Avengers have united together to defeat him in that diabolical evil goal. And actually, I want to play a clip. And so here we have Tony Stark, who is Iron Man, confronting... Oh, no, no. This is Benjamin Cumberbach as what's one of these guys anyway they're confronting yeah dr strange and they're confronting thanos about you know what's up with your villainy man and here it is where do you think he brought you let me guess your home it was and it was beautiful Titan was like most planets. Too many mouths, not enough to go around. And when we faced extinction, I offered a solution. Genocide. But random, dispassionate, fair to rich and poor alike. They called me a madman. And what I predicted came to pass. Congratulations, you're a prophet. I'm a survivor. Who wants to murder trillions? With all six stones, I could simply snap my fingers; they would all cease to exist. And I call that mercy. And then what? I finally rest and watch the sunrise on a grateful universe. The hardest choices require the strongest wills. Yeah, that's amazing. Totally, that's yeah. amazing. What an interesting motivation for a villain it was, is to create a better world by killing half of the people. And there's something that is resonant with, you know, the culture. You, you have sort of a, a mixed response to that, right?
1: Yeah, well, it's and, a guy, from an integral perspective, it's great because you can feel the partial truth if he's not totally wrong. Like, right, sustainable, and like what's better there being half less people who just disappear and then everyone else living in abundance or yep. all these people continuing to suffer forever yep. so that was one of the things they really dialed in and one of the cool things they did in that first infinity war was that was his movie that movie's actually his hero's journey and you know what works best in cinema is when or most stories is when the he- the villain actually thinks they're a hero right, right. from his from his worldview, what he's doing is serving the highest good. And that's where it gets far more interesting than just the old, you know, mustache twirling before (laughs) where it's like, Oh no, I can feel he's, he's not totally wrong. Right. Which creates that like kind of conflict.
0: Yeah. So what, what is his story arc or evolution where he ends up basically here?
1: His arc is against all odds. He finds a way to do it and he succeeds and he wins and he, he, you know, saves half the universe, and right. you sacrifice something near and dear to him to do it. Um, so they, they add a lot of complexity into those. So stories. he
0: starts out with this motivation, and, and he's had it the whole time.
1: His, his scale goes up. So the, the way they've introduced his character is that he's trying to do it by hand. So he's been marauding planet by planet, decimating mm-hmm. the population. And it's just not enough, and it's not fast enough. So then he becomes wise to these stones, and he thinks, "Oh, this will be a this will be a far more uh, mercy merciful way of doing it."
0: Yeah, so, and wise. just for people who don't know what we're talking about, the stones that he identifies and there's I guess six of them. Uh, are basically represent the building blocks of the universe. So already by integral antenna up, it's like, I love building blocks of the universe. And it's, it's, you know, it's a cool six. It's, you know, time and soul and uh, power, power. I actually have them here. Yeah. It's power, mind, soul, reality, space and time. And so when you get all six of those stones, which you know, give you access to this sort of, that fundamental power. And, um, you know, it gets to this sort of, um, you and I were talking about it bef- before, the, the moral ambiguity that is a feature of postmodern entertainment in general. Absolutely.
1: Is, yeah, we can, we can see the heroic side of the villain. Yeah. And, you know, at certain moments in this series, even the villainy of some of the heroes. You know? Yeah. At having yeah. to do certain things to to serve that greater good in their own mind and then questioning is, is that right? Yeah, uh, so it, not only was it interesting storytelling, which is cool and amazing that they pulled it off I mean overall, you know, some of the movies were definitely better than others and there's you know, Some arguments arguments you can make about how kind of cookie cutter they were and it wasn't towards the end that they started introducing some characters of color and women and really kind of catching up in that regard yeah. But the quality of the films overall is pretty high. Um, you know, they're yeah. pretty well made films with good stories, um, which yeah. is a huge testament. And then, you know, another thing we were talking about is kind of from the more systems point of view. It was interesting seeing this emerge as the whole film industry has just been radically changing mm-hmm. um, every year. Box office grosses basically go down adjusted for inflation. Streaming has you know, which is where we'll talk about with Game of Thrones, has burst onto the scene since 2008. You know, in 2008, Netflix had just kind of launched the the streaming version. They were still mostly DVD by mail, and they were starting to have a few movies you could watch online from the, from the seat of your home. But the major thing, you know, that's totally changing the film industry has been the cost of production has dropped. So it's, Technology is so good now lights are so good now cameras are so good now green screen technology is so good now You can make you can actually make films for relatively cheap But the highest cost now is just this deeper emergence. We're really battling with Globally right now of attention is the scarcest resource. So now there's radio. There's music. There's More good television than any single person can possibly watch like it's 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 insane Um, So the highest cost now is how do you get someone into the theater, aka advertising? So this is where this old serialized storytelling becomes really valuable in this age because every time a new Marvel movie comes out, particularly in the way they've done it, it's kind of already part of a story. Mm -hmm. Don't have to convince anyone to really go see the movie, right? Right. You're you're already kind of bought in. It just becomes this endless movie that's serialized in the way most storytelling was back in the day and it gets around a lot of those costs like they could have likely not spent a dime advertising this last avengers movie and it probably would have made you know i don't know it would have made maybe half a million less you can look at the box office from the last decade and every year you know this will probably be one of the Actually, it's probably already happened by now, but that the top 10 highest grossing movies are either all reboots or sequels or remakes. Interesting. Not an original thing really breaking through anymore because it's just the same thing. If you can trade on nostalgia, people already have. It's an instant thing. And you just don't have to convince them to try something new.
0: Yeah, that's the thing about Game of Thrones. So I didn't watch Game of Thrones in real time. I'm uh, Chuck, and I started watching it because the season eight thing was like I gotta at least check into this thing and see if it's any good. So we sat down and watched season season one, episode one, and we both just loved it. I mean, it was easy to get into and, and rich and um, and of course intricate, but uh, straightforward. So you know, a guy like me, I, I can't always follow the plot. Whether give me me too many feints and. You know, wrong turns. Uh, but this this was straightforward, and I thought, boy, what a what a rich thing I have to look forward to. And there's eight seasons of this, and we're just going to plow through it. And we can't, you know, it's it's like maybe two episodes if we're starting early. But but it's like a big chocolate cake. You just can't eat too much of it, and I'm loving it. You know, uh, that's... like everybody else, I get
1: it. That's, it's one of the, so the other interesting thing, you know, we get to talk about the beautiful content, but then obviously the systems behind them. So there's the, you know, there's a great article, I think on Vulture by one of my famed favorite uh, TV and film critics called uh, Matt Stoller Zeitz, I think he's really great. He writes on Roger Ebert now as well, but his, his thing is, is Game of Thrones, the last big event television show. Hmm. Because it started right before streaming had really taken off. So it was still a, every Sunday night, yeah. one season in about a year. Right. And what that allowed for by now,
0: Episode by episode.
1: Was that digestion in between, right? Like you're talking about. Yes. Right? And then we can have a conversation. Did you see last week? Oh my God, that was crazy. The Red Wedding, the da-da-da-da. And these things, like there's time for these things to kind of simmer in between. Um, but then after they launched, you know, Netflix started their creation content content creation strategy which is the whole season dump binging so it all comes out at once so there's not really that length of time in the culture to digest in the same way yeah. that game of thrones has yeah. which um keeps it kind of relevant in the conversation whereas you know it's been i don't know two weeks since the season fina- series finale of game of thrones now and right it's kind of gone
0: i mean yeah here. yeah so uh without spoiling it uh What did you? So you watched it, of course, in real time, and you were engaged. I and... watched in real time
1: up until I think season five. Okay, uh, I'm a I'm a freak in that. I I read the
0: books first. Really? Now, did you of, read it, the books after the move of uh, the TV show was start started to be produced?
1: Before the TV, so I read the book. I had friends in in high school read one. He's like, you should read this. It's really good. And I was like, hey, I've read so many fantasy series. i blah. and I didn't read it till 2000. I think. Five, I read my first one, and I was like, for that very reason we just discussed, I was like, wow, this is like nothing. It's it's half like historical fiction. It feels yeah. like the books are so I know. detailed. They're so detailed. Yeah, and then major things happen to major characters, and it had this beautiful, you know, again talking about the system of the storytelling that George R R, R. Martin told these stories in a postmodern way where each chapter was from a different perspective, which is very different than many fantasy series as well, where it's just main character, you follow them through the arc, right? But this was, oh, we're with this character, then we're with this character, and this character. Yes. And the person that started out with the villain, we're now spending time with them and suddenly, oh man, maybe they're not as, I see them now, you know? And it creates more of that gray area that just keeps layering on that whole of just the complexity at yeah. all, um, but so I started reading them, and then they announced that HBO was going to make a show, and we all freaked out and we're like, "Oh my god, that's going to be that's going to be crazy if it's good." And then the shows overtook the books, so yeah. there's still two books left, and so I stopped watching when the TV show went beyond the books because I was like, "I just want to be spoiled once in my life," and you know,
0: we'll see. Zero by the time they got to season five, I guess, or maybe through season five, they were following his books and then he, he wasn't finished yet. And so they kept... He had so they, like the
1: overall, uh, the, the depth of the story was kind of mapped out. He just had okay. written the mechanics so he knew the right. big plot points. Okay, so they did
0: follow that. the main plot points.
1: Yeah, and that was part of how kind of the producers, there's a famous story, they sat down with him when they were pitching him on, hey, we want to convert this to a DV show. They kind of predicted... One of the big mysteries of the novels and where they thought it was going in a correct way and he was like, oh, okay You guys are serious. Uh-huh. He kind of gave them the map of where the stories were going and you know They spun it in their own ways in certain regards, but uh, Overall, it's gonna lap, uh, align with the books
0: Right, so so you still haven't seen the last three seasons
1: yeah, no. I look forward to savoring them one day. I'll just, I'll probably rewatch everything, <laughs>
0: start to finish. Well, you know, there's, time. you know, the, I, I mean, you can't be in the culture again without getting that the the ending was disappointing, and uh, you know, there was at least there's a lot of backlash. I'm not sure there is any universe where there wasn't going to be a lot of backlash to an ending, but yeah, you know, it's pretty
1: hard with TV shows to really stick the landing, probably even more than films. It's 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 often yeah. done. Because TV shows I mean part of something like Game of Thrones, which the Avengers also did Very successfully in this latest endgame, but both of those shows Right part of what they're really trading on which is new and interesting is um, They're on so long right part of the emotional response We have is literally how much our life has changed since it started right so if you started game of thrones in 2012 you know obama was president we had optimism about the future of the world well many of us did (laughs) you know we were a little more relaxed in our day-to-day experience and then we've been on this huge journey right since then um that watching that show is literally part of our life yeah the thing i notice for a lot of people is these things become emotional because part of it's part of how you know you're just like you're you're getting old things are changing
0: It really is a beautiful art form in that way this expanded storytelling So you're bumming me out when you say that this is the last one of its kind. So what's up with that?
1: Well, 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 I mean part of it is just right attention is so fractured now. Yeah, not only is film Competing with television. It's now competing with social media, right? There's a whole generation even younger than me Who most you know, probably 80% of their consumption is tiktok snapchat and even youtube stuff right like a whole other thing that i'm like i don't even know what's going on there um but so there's just this total you know yeah. literally yeah. the postmodern there's so many perspectives at this point it, yeah. it's getting rarer and having to be a much bigger penetration to have these monoculture moments there may be never be these kinds of things again in yeah. some sense because like, yeah what stories are big enough? Yeah. Because so many of these started in our banking on, they got a lot of us hooked back in the day.
0: Yeah. We were hmm. young,
1: right? I get it. What's what's the new stuff? Like, yeah. who knows? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, Trump. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he's the, he's the hottest story
0: we, right now. You know, we needed a story. And, I mean, because I do think actually we need a story yeah. as a culture. And I think we'll find one somehow, just the coalescence of the karmas of the cultures that, you know, that we're going to find things to have in common. But I will say that, that uh, you know, what you're really showing, and I, I actually hadn't gotten it quite like you said it, is that particularly in the books and, and Avengers as well, we're telling these individual stories. And this and the, this perspective and this perspective and that is you know ultimately it's a it's an expression of the postmodern aesthetic. There's no grand net narration going on. This is just different people's perspectives. But it's also an, an an engine of integral consciousness. Totally. You know, because eventually we it just becomes we become multi perspectival, especially when um, it's not none of these characters are. As polarized to good and evil as they used to be
1: Storytelling is in itself one of the great engines of evolution because the form itself is character goes from a to B Yeah, and yeah. a to B is usually Synthesis antithesis or sorry thesis antithesis synthesis, right? I was one way and then I tried something else and then I had to find a third way that integrates both of those ways, yeah. which is, that's the whole jam. Yeah. And pretty much every story has it's that true. over and over and over. Yeah. So the scope is just getting yeah. so much huger with these yeah. far more complex stories. So, yes, But you can see, like if you watch that first Iron Man in 2008 and then see his last moment in Avengers Endgame, there is an arc to that yes. character that spans a decade. Oh. And what he stepped into that's like meaningful
0: yeah right on. well, I love what you how you put that i mean it's the the engine itself hasn't really changed. It's that we start somewhere, we face a challenge and we end up somewhere and that is just the human condition, and that's the the, the sort of uh structure of stories as far back as the campfires of prehistory, and now we're just telling them in this bigger way in this bigger scope, and um these shows I, they feel integral to me.
1: And yeah, these stories, I mean, right. I think our thirst for them as a culture is just going up in some sense because there is not a whole lot of other social glue for us right yeah. now that really kind of does create that like yeah. oh, all in one conversation, even though we keep merging off into endless perspectives and identities. It's nice when there is a big event and you yes. can just feel like, oh, you watch that too. Like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> right. I love it. I feel so
0: good to me. Yeah, me too. I think, in terms of um, having looked at these two, the co- the culmination of these two huge stories um, in, in the same like month, yeah, is a significant wild. thing. Yeah, and and I have to think, and this is where we could thank good old capitalism. The story ain't over yet. I mean, these these properties are so valuable. And I'm, I'm hearing, isn't HBO doing some sort of prequel to the Game of Thrones? Yeah, so
1: they're going to spin off probably three or four different Game of Thrones series. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the benefit of the world building, right? Is he's, he's by watching the first show, you, you already know some of the stories they can go back and explore. Yeah. From characters in past, from ancient lineages and kingdoms. So, boom, again. Oh, it's the next Game of Thrones show. Of course I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Hey, yeah, There's that buy-in, and oh yeah, a new Avengers movie will come out yeah. in five or six years. Of course, I'm going to watch that, right? Yeah. So yeah, they're just going to keep yeah, poking these franchises over and over and over and over again. Yeah,
0: well, good, and maybe they will be the glue that you know, continues to hold us together in some some way. You know, I love Game of Thrones because. This culture, as you said, it's it really represents it's sort of like historical fiction where everything's sort of the 15th century England, you know, Western Europe kind of thing going on. And uh, and yet their history goes on for thousands and thousands of years. So there's all this intricate stuff of this family and that family. And I'm interested in all of it. All of a sudden, I want to know how they why they built that damn wall. Totally. out of ice that's 700 feet tall
1: <laughs> yeah it's part of what makes it um feel more real on screen as well i mean it's cool to watch even just the evolution of fantasy writing in that regard is you know tolkien was the first person who kind of almost did it historically of like okay they the yes. their languages and vibes and i could write just almanacs kind of about each of these cultures that give it a certain veracity you know when you're when you're watching it there's like a truthfulness to like this it feels like this is an actual world you know instead of this was just created just for this moment like you can feel them your great thing about game of thrones in particular is you can feel the moments before just go so far back of why people hate each other why certain things evolved and it feels true because right it is true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In that world. And you enter it. Yeah, it's brilliant. So uh, are you reading anybody good these days? Who's, who's out there doing something new and good, even as a writer?
1: Uh, I'm not reading much fiction right now at all, truth be told. Um, and, and I'm just barely keeping up with, with movies. That's yeah. mo- most, of my, most of my energy, because of timing, is still going out to a theater you know, really? it's a dying experience in itself. Uh, so I don't even really watch stuff at home. Anything. All right.
0: G- give us two recommendations of movies that are in the theater or, uh, you know, uh, what are the services that we got to see?
1: In, let's see, what did I, what did I see this year? Um, I just saw Smart last weekend, though, which was really great. Um, That's the one
0: by Olivia Wilde, about two yeah, young girls. Yeah, yeah. Who and, have a you know, senior... Again,
1: fascinating display of how you take A traditional story that has been done in our culture many times—the kind of coming of age last night, which is usually about boys—and retelling it from a female perspective. Totally great, modern, and it's it's awesome. It's incredibly wickedly well directed, super funny.
0: Isn't that funny, Olivia Wilde? Isn't she like a uh, you know babe, or hasn't she been an actress? Yeah, she was.
1: You know, she was an actress um, who did fairly well in the last years, and you don't wanted to step into telling. You know more stories that just be a sidekick in. So you know yeah. what were the roles she probably wanted when she was these girls' ages. Um, so that was really good. That's bookends. Uh, book smart. Book you know, smart. That's the kind of movie it really does matter to go out and see in theaters because cool. It again, it, I sound like a old man on my lawn, but it's the kind of movie that won't be in theaters in two years probably. Yeah. You'll only see that kind of stuff on streaming. Right because it just doesn't have a big enough audience. And really all we go out for now is big spectacle event movies that yeah. are and have action sequences and all that stuff. Mm. Um, so it could use the support in the box office though. So they'll continue making stories that aren't just comic book movies.
0: <laughs> so one more.
1: Um, I mean, I loved, not in the theaters anymore, but Us was amazing. Actually, it might still be in the theaters. Us.
0: Us. And uh,
1: remind me. Really good. Um, Jordan Peele, he's the guy that directed Get Out a couple of years ago. Right. And is, I mean, as strong a director to come on the film scene in in my lifetime as I've seen. You know, his first movie was a masterpiece, just exceptionally well made. This one's maybe a little rougher on certain edges, but pretty fascinating to watch and extremely well directed again. Great performances. Um, and kind time. of a horror movie, very much a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a doppelganger horror movie. Yeah, cool. Uh, which is a so. unique kind of uh, creepiness and has done pretty well as well.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, I appreciate that. Well, all right, Jason Lang. Awesome. Yeah. Good fun. Thanks, man. Uh, talk to you later, and thank you everybody for tuning in to the Daily Evolver. See you next time.